Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. Um, I don't preach every week, so if you're visiting with us for the first time don't, and you don't end up liking this, don't worry. I'm not up here that often, so that's our disclaimer. Um, but uh, we've been uh, going through a uh, great um, series of lessons on what is love. That's basically our theme for the year. And uh, we've been going a lot out of, and not that we're going to limit ourselves to 1 Corinthians 13, but we've really been starting out in 1 Corinthians 13. And um, the title of my message today comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And, and that says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the title of my message today is simply, Love is the Greatest. Love is the greatest, isn't it? You know, we, uh, it was a big weekend at our house. Uh, we, have, we had an addition to the family. Oh, yes. Yes. We got a new dog. Um, and uh, there it is. Adorable, right? And the dog's not bad either, right? Ah, see, that's such a layup. i got to get new material. But... Um, that's our new dog. His name is Bear, and uh, we feel like it was ordained. That, that it's, he's, he's been adopted. Uh, he's two and a half years old. He's um, not that cute, in my opinion, he's, but he's adorable, especially if you look at him from the front. Um, if you look at him from the front, he looks kind of jackally, kind of almost, there's almost an evil tinge to him. His personality is wonderful, warm, affectionate, but Sue, Sue was berating me, say, stop saying that, stop saying that. Then I heard her describing Bear this morning to someone else, and she's like, yeah, he's kind of funny looking, and I'm like... And, she, and she's like, well, he's not here. And I'm like, well, okay. So you're talking behind our dog's back. And I don't, but um, it's kind of cute because Sue's been looking for this kind of a dog. He's a Keyshawn American Eskimo mix, right? And Sue grew up with, a, with Keyshawns. And if you've been to our house before, uh, uh, you know, in the past year, we used to have two Keyshawns. And when we moved to Vermont from Chicago, unfortunately, they both passed away. Very sad. Um, and so uh, we, Sue's been kind of searching all over the country for these Keyshawns. And so she finally finds one that's in Vermont and is named Bear. And our last name is Bear Horst, right? It's a Dutch, uh, Dutch version of Bear Bear's Nest. I'm a musician and my studio in my home is called the Bear Cave. So now we've got a dog named Bear and so we're like, this is meant to be, you know? But unlike our past two dogs, Bear is extraordinarily affectionate. I would say needy, right? Our other two dogs... In some ways, I kind of looked at our other two dogs, and I'm like, we might as well have a cat. We might as well have cats. I mean, that's how aloof they were. You're like, come here, come in. They just look at you and walk the other way, you know? They were sweet dogs, and we adored them, but they weren't snugglers. This dog, it just, just jumps up into your lap. And I think part of it is because, you know, all of a sudden he's got this new home with new people. And he's just so needy. He's so affectionate and needs love so deeply. And I was thinking as I was preparing the message, I was like, yeah, that's all of us. 
Because we all need love. And some of us are more obvious with it, right? Some of us may come across as more needy, but the fact of the matter is, even our prior dogs did need love. They may have been slightly more aloof seeming, but we all need love. And we're going to look at a couple facets of love. A couple weeks ago, uh, Rob did Love is Kind, right? We're going to look at the, the list of uh, attributes in 1 Corinthians 13 and take our message from there. And we're just going to look at two parts of love. Why love is the greatest. And uh, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13.5. And uh, I hope you're ready for a little bit of candor this morning. A little bit of open, uh-oh, that's right, buckle your seatbelts. I appreciated uh, Chris's communion, you know? It's, it's tough when you struggle with insecurity like we all do at times. It's tough to go up in front of everyone and go, hey guys, I'm insecure, right? But what that does for me is it pulls me into Chris's life. Makes him relatable, right? And we're all, you know, I've been a, a Christian now going on, oh, I don't know, 31 years? Um, but I still struggle with accepting and expressing aspects of God love, God's love. That's why I love this topic, because what I think this topic is meant to do is kind of reframe and continually remind us what is love? What is God's love? Because often we're not used to growing up with an expression of God's love. Uh, And sometimes, even if we are, there's imperfect love all around us. It's so good to go to the Bible and go, wow, look at God's character. Look how much God loves us and look at how he loves us. And uh, I want to start in 1 Corinthians 13.5 where it says, Love is not... Easily angered. So this is an interesting one. Why is that an important aspect of love? I think it's kind of simple. It's kind of tough to feel loved when someone's mad at you. A lot of the time, right? There can be tough love, right? But a lot of times when there's anger, it's not necessarily righteous anger. Either on the receiving end and often from the giving end, right? A lot of times when we're mad, we aren't being loving, you know? And I love that God says here, guess what? Love is not easily angered. I know personally, when someone's mad at me or annoyed with me, that shuts down my feelings of connection with that person so quickly. It puts me inside my own head, in my own heart, and I'm immediately, intensely, I can get insecure, I can get angry myself, I can be just like, fine, okay, you're annoyed, I'm, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I don't ever express that verbally anymore. <laughs> but that can be what's going on inside. Someone's annoyed with me, it's like, I, I've shut you out. You know, I think it's so important to realize that God says, God says, love is not easily angered. James 1 verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
In Ephesians 4, it says, In your anger do not sin, verse 26. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So there is a way to be angry and not sin, right? In your anger do not sin. But it still then follows up and says, But don't let the sun go down while you're angry. So even if you're expressing righteous anger, it's probably not a great idea to just hold on to that day after day. Anger is a touchy thing, a tricky thing. This is interesting. There's a warning in Proverbs about people who are easily angered. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not associate with a man given to anger or with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. I'm going to be bopping through a lot of scriptures. Um, you, you're welcome to, to tap me on the shoulder, and I'll send you my notes if you, um, if you want them. But I, I'm aware that I'm going to be kind of touching on a lot of different places, so it's going to be hard to turn to all of them. Um, so Proverbs 22, right? Don't associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. I mean, that's strong. Because you might learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. I think it's probably uh, psychologically provable that if you've, been, if you've grown up around someone who's hot-tempered, you probably tend to struggle with some of that yourself. It can have other impacts as well. It can also turn people inward, right? Have you ever found yourself angry in a moment and think to yourself, holy cow, that escalated quickly. Like, where did that even come from? Look how angry I am. I went from zero to furious in 0.7 milliseconds. Yeah, it's like, how did that happen? You know, I like to think to my, of myself as not hot-tempered. Of course, I'd like, to, I'd like to think of myself. I also like to think of myself as extremely fit, you know. So, you know, we all like to look at ourselves in the best light, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. In fact, a year ago, I, I, I remember this because it, 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 it's an interesting moment in the, my relationship with my mother-in-law, who I, have, who I adore, so Sue's mom said to me one time, just out of the way, she said, Ralph, do you ever get angry? And I mean, she's known me for 30 years. We've been married for 30 years, so she's known me for like 31 years. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, wow, look at me. I'm not hot-tempered. You know, I was like patting myself on the back. She's never seen me angry. That's kind of cool. And I, then, I, But my response to her was, Ask Sue that question. <laughs> Ask Kristen that question. My daughter. Ask my son Derek that question. Ride in the car with me sometimes. <laughs> so, I promised you candor, right? So, let me tell you how at times I am not slow to anger, right? Maybe you'll be able to relate to this a little bit. Maybe you'll also rush the stage and pull me off of... Uh, you'll be like, why is this guy preaching? Why? <laughs> um, but So Proverbs 12.16 says, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. There have been times in my life, and I'm not talking about before, before I, I was a disciple... In my life as a disciple, as a supposedly spiritual man, that I've shown my annoyance at once. That I've been quick to anger. anger. 
Um, so here, here's, a, here's a moment in my life that's seared into my memory. I was sitting at a stop sign. This is living in Chicago, downtown, busy. Middle of the day, I'm sitting at a stop sign, and I had pulled up just a little bit too much into a crosswalk. So a bunch of people are having to kind of do a, the two-foot, right? That's a total bozo no-no in a big city. Don't pull into a crosswalk, right? And I felt bad. I was a couple feet into it, so some people were having to walk, kind of go around the car and just a couple feet. One guy, as he's coming around my car, smacks my hood. That's also, has that ever happened to you in an urban center? <laughs> That's a thing. That's a thing that happens in Chicago, right? That's just like, you know, hey, buddy, get out of the crosswalk. And I mean, he came, he came up and just, he smacked my hood and was yelling at me. He, he didn't break stride. He just kept up with his smack, yelled at me, and just, and it was like my arm was attached to his arm with a pulley system. When his arm went down and hit my car, my arm went up and I flipped him off. I, 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 at that point, I think I'd been a Christian for 20, 20 years. Guys, it's insane. I, as soon as I did that, I was like, who am I? And then I was like, okay, when he saw that, what if he then got madder and then came over to my window? What, what's the next step, big boy? You know? You know? What, where are you taking this, disciple boy? You know? It's like, are you kidding me? I, you know, and, and, you know, I remember calling a, a, a brother that night and like, I gotta just tell you what I did today. It's like, who who am I? I mean, that's a fool giving full vent to his anger, his annoyance at once. There's other legendary things I've done in our household, again, since I've been a disciple. One time I got so frustrated. Does anyone remember? This is back in the day. Back when you used to have to type out papers. <laughs> and uh, you had a thing called whiteout. And, but, but, and these were... This is the whiteout liquid. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was like a little paintbrush, and you painted on your, and you whited out, you know, your your ears. Well, I don't remember what precipitated this, but I was alone at home, and I got really upset. And I was like, in my primal brain, I was like, I need to throw something right now. And so, <laughs> um, I'm like, I. I grabbed the whiteout, it was the closest thing, and I just whipped it at the wall. Just note to all of you, not a great thing to throw, right? I, the cap was on. I just thought I was just, I was just whipping some of the wall. In the worst case scenario, there'd be a divot, a small divot in the wall. Well, the bottle exploded on the wall. Sue came home. I don't know when that was, maybe a half hour later, and I was scrubbing the wall, the floor. It was like a contemporary art piece. It was like white, exploded all over the wall, right? It was all over the floor. She was like, what did you do? I was like, I threw white out at the wall. Why'd you do that? I don't know. You know? 
But, I mean, crazy stuff. As I was telling Sue, hey, I'm going to be a little candid about anger issues this morning. She's like, oh, well, don't forget the, the uh, Xbox incident. And I'm like, thanks, son. I mean, I remember years and years ago, I was playing Xbox, and in, a, in an act of tremendous self-control, I decided to throw the controller, but at the couch. Because I didn't want to damage these, so there was some semblance of self-control. The problem was, who knew how springy the couch cushions were? The Xbox controller rebounded off the couch and broke a window. (laughs) Try explaining this stuff to your kids. The Christian dad. You know what I mean? It's, It's rough. But you know what's interesting? How do we? How does a, how does how does a doctor determine how your heart is doing physically? Oftentimes, you take a stress test. You get on a treadmill. They hook up an EKG and they make you like climb a mountain on the treadmill, right? And they they measure the blood flow. They see if there's any arrhythmia. They they're, they're just they're stressing your heart out to reveal how your heart's really doing physically. I think there's moments in life where God gives us spiritual stress tests. And the doctor is us. I mean, we, we have to have our hearts revealed to ourselves. And I've noticed in my life a formula. Stress plus not walking with God equals easily angered. That's for me. For some of us, it's, it's a lot of things. Stress plus not walking with God could be some sort of self-medication, you know? Eating or drinking or could be, could be something else, something addictive. Um, but that's some form of medication for me, clearly, right? I hate that, but it's some sort of release. It's some sort of, but what it does, when I get that stressed moment, I realize, holy cow, I'm not walking with God because I'm not responding like I have God's love in my life. I'm not remembering that God has not been angry, uh, quick to anger with me. You know, it is impressive when you're slow to anger, biblically. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. In God's eyes, you're a bigger deal than a conqueror of a city if you're able to control your temper. It's a big deal. Look how God describes himself. In Exodus 34 and verse 6, God appears before Moses, right? Puts him in the cleft of a rock and appears before Moses and then proclaims himself. And here's how God describes himself in Exodus. And he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Isn't that cool? I love that God describes himself as a forgiving, slow to anger God. And here's what's fascinating about that verse. You know what had just happened right before 
God proclaimed this about himself. Moses had slammed down the Ten Commandments that God had inscribed up in the mountain. He got, Moses was so mad that he broke the tablets. This is right before God provided a second backup <laughs> group of tablets. What had happened? I don't know if you remember the story. Moses had gone up to the mountaintop to meet with God. God had given the Ten Commandments, but it took a little longer than the Israelites were thinking it should take. Guess what they did? They took all their jewelry, all their gold. The high priest, Aaron, said, absolutely, guys, give me your gold. Give me everything. Let's make a golden calf and let's bow down to it. This is your new God, Israel. Yeah. And God wasn't happy about that. Moses wasn't happy about that. He spiked the tablets. But I think in that context, it's interesting that God then describes himself, I'm slow to anger. (laughs) You know? I'm maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I think, let's take great heart in the fact that our God is slow to anger, that he's patient with us. Let's let that impact how we are with one another. And let's... Let's be open when we're struggling with anger, you know? And let's kind of take that, kind of let that be a stress test. Kind of go, how are we doing? How's my heart doing? How's my walk with God doing? Second point, and last point, verse 5. Love keeps no no record of wrongs. Emmy, do you mind popping up the second slide? Basically, what's interesting about that word record is it's this Greek word logizitai. I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it. But it comes from the accounting profession. It's basically, and Ryan's you know, shaking his head. Ryan's a controller, right? He does that all day. He's all about balancing the books, right? Monitoring outflow, inflow, credit, debit. What's cool is when God says love keeps no record of wrongs, he's saying there is no ledger. Or, if you want to be more symbolic, there's a ledger and it's blank. It's blank. And what's interesting is that's the same word used in Romans 4, in verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Guys, there's no reckoning. There's no accountancy with God. I mean, that's blow away if we can embrace that. If we can let that sink in about God's love, that your ledger is blank. Right? It's so exciting, and I think it would change us if we could embrace that day to day. You know? And we, we desire that, don't we? Don't we want that in our relationships with one another, with God? We want that. We want relationships where you feel like people aren't just keeping count of your flaws, of the things that they may have done to offend you, or like that there's this ledger in someone's mind. You know? But it's hard to put that into practice sometimes, isn't it? Do you ever find yourself keeping count? It's like, okay, that's the second time today. Okay. 
He did that last week. Said it the same time. Said the same way. Had the same response. I even talked to him about it. He said sorry. Supposedly, clearly, he's not sorry. Right? I mean, it happens. It's it's human nature. It's our sinful nature. A lot of you are too young to have ever seen Seinfeld. You know the you guys know Seinfeld. Yeah. So you know Seinfeld. Uh, they invented a holiday called Festivus. Right? For the Festivus, for the rest of us. Right? It's a religious, it's, it's their a religious holiday, alternative to Hanukkah and Christmas and any other holiday. And basically, what Festivus consists of is, a, I guess there's a pole involved, but we don't know why. It's just called the Festivus Pole. But there is feats of strength. Where you have to, you come together for dinner and you have to wrestle the head of the household. And you don't stop until someone pins the head of the household. Okay, anyway, it's a comedy. It's, uh, this is not real. Apparently it's become real. But what's interesting about Festivus is the other thing that they do is they gather on the table and it's called the airing of grievances. <laughs> you basically go around the table and tell everyone what they did to offend you the past, in the past year. Part of me is like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there's a part of you that's like, that could be very cathartic. Until it's your turn, right? To get the brunt of it, right? But, I mean, there's, there's, there's part of us that's like, man, I just need to get this out. You don't know how much I've been offended. You don't know how much this hurt, you know? And I'm not saying it's wrong to share when we've been hurt. But to keep a ledger, to keep a record of wrongs is ungodly. Yeah. It is completely unlike God's love for us. But God knew how tough it is not to keep a ledger. The disciples knew it. Remember when Peter... Hello. You remember when Peter, in Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I'm wondering what conversation happened right before that, like maybe with James or John. Like, ah, I'm asking Jesus. I've got to keep forgiving you. You know, dude, you are a knucklehead. But it's like... How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jewish law, I think Peter shared this in a message uh, a few months ago, but Jewish law required you to forgive someone three times. That's keeping a ledger, right? (laughs) Because that's like, okay, that was two. You got one more, three strikes and you're out, right? So I think Peter was feeling pretty spiritual when he said up to seven times. I mean, that's twice the Jewish law plus one in case you lose count, right? Right? I think we're good. And Jesus is like, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or sometimes it's 70 times seven times. Either way, could you imagine going, okay, got it. Alright, so now I need to count to either 490 or 77 with people. Right? Clearly Jesus was not saying that means keep a more detailed ledger. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is like, hey, you got to keep forgiving. you got to not keep a ledger. Throw away the ledger. You might as well not have it. Burn it. 
The question for us this morning is, how are our ledgers looking? Are our ledgers blank? Do they exist? Ephesians 4 says in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Bearing with one another in love. The new that that was the uh, new international version. The um, new American Standard says, "Showing tolerance for one another in love," and then make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. God knows that keeping a ledger with one another destroys unity. It destroys a fellowship. It destroys a family. Right. I think if you look at any breakups and schisms in relationships, it's because there's a ledger being kept. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, uh, I, I read that wrong. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's what love does. That's what God's love does. When we get rid of our ledgers, it binds us together. It's the only way we can be unified. Right? There's the old adage, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't join it. Because you're imperfect. It's just a bunch of imperfect people. We're family. There's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Jesus, the head, is perfect. But we're an imperfect expression of his body. And so it's very... It's essential. What's funny to me, like going from a large church in Chicago and moving here to Burlington with like 50 odd people. I'm like, if I kept a record of wrongs in this group, I wouldn't, within six months, I'm not trying to say I've been wrong that many times by every person. I'm just saying that'll decimate your relationship with the whole church before you can blink. If you're keeping a record of wrongs, you can get away with that in a large ministry. It's like, all right, I just avoid Brother X or Sister Y. Because there's a hundred other people to fellowship. That's not spiritual, but I'm just saying you could function. What happens here is you will be a non-functioning Christian. Completely non-functioning. Quicker than you can blink if you're keeping a ledger around here. And I think that's a benefit. Of being in a small ministry. It's like, you, you can run, but you can't hide. I can see everybody here. Yeah, I can see who's nodding off right now. I need to step it up. But, you know, we all see each other. We, you know, you're, you're, when you're not here, it's noticed. When you're here and you're down, it's noticed. And that's a good thing. We get to love each other. Yeah. We get to not keep a record of wrongs. We get to put that into practice. Mark 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Mm-hmm. That's kind of um, a scary 
Scripture. In other words, if I don't forgive them, like don't, don't pray with unforgiveness in your heart, with a record of wrongs. You better forgive them so that your Father can forgive you. That's a pretty intense contingency right there. It's serious. And it's so cool because God is the example of not keeping a ledger with us. Why do we keep a ledger, guys? Why do we do it sometimes? I think sometimes we just do it because it feels good. Right? It just does. You know, there's a, there's a Pro, Proverbs 26, 22 says, The words of a gossip are like choice or, or delicious morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. It's like, oh, I, I need a little more of that. Mm, that kind of, let me roll that around in my mouth for a minute. I mean, that's, mm, that's, that's good. It's like kind of thinking about the vengeance, what you would say to somebody. It's, it's almost like gossiping internally, you know? Do you believe what he said to me? No. I'm not. What are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to forgive him. That's for sure. You know I mean? It's like you're having this internal gossip time with yourself. And it's like you keep that and you fight these little battles internally, psychologically, and you don't let them go. And it kind of feels good because you're like, ooh, here's what I should have said. Here's what I would have said. Here's what I'm going to say. You know? In verse, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, what's interesting is all of these verses on love were written to the Corinthian church. And guess what about the Corinthian church? It had a lot of problems. This isn't the first letter of the Corinthians. The second letter of the Corinthians is a lot better because the Corinthians responded to Paul's first letter where he called them out on a lot of their dysfunction and lack of spirituality. There was a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. And I want you to think as I read a couple of these verses about what was happening in Corinth, if you would struggle with keeping a record of these wrongs that was happening in this church. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ten verses into his letter, by the way. This is right out of the gate. Paul's like, guys, let me cut to the chase. I need to appeal to you right now that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels in the church? You're kidding. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. There were leadership issues. There were schisms. There were divisions. They're like, I'm not following that dude. He's a way better preacher. Oh, no, I relate to that guy. He's more in my, you know, uh, my wheelhouse in my life situation. So I'm following him. Or No, I, he's the one who converted me. I'm following him. It, whatever their reasons were, there was a division in the church. Imagine what that was causing the relationships in the church. Like, this group's convinced this is the guy to follow. That group's convinced that's the guy to follow. And it's like, this, these are the things that completely split churches. Yeah. And Paul's like, I appeal to you. Don't do that. Let there be no divisions among you. But imagine if you never let go of that. And you just remembered the whole rest of your Christian life. Oh yeah, I remember what group that guy used to be in. 
At some point, and we'll look at it in 2 Corinthians, at some point they repented. The church didn't split, you know. So there had to be a lot of forgiveness. There had to be a lot of bridge building, a lot of ledger destroying. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7, how about this? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Guys, you had disciples taking one another to court. I mean, that's next level ledger keeping. As I, I'm getting a lawyer involved. And I'm going to broadcast that ledger before a judge. And I'm hoping that this ledger throws you, gets you thrown in prison. I'm completely uninterested in reconciling, in reconciling with you. Let's get the lawyers involved. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? But I want you to imagine what that was like for the brothers and sisters involved in lawsuits towards one another. You think that that could keep a, a ledger for the rest of their Christian lives against one another? This happens because we are imperfect, sinful people. Yeah. Yeah, what's cool is in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, regret it I see that my letter hurt you not only for a little while, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. They destroyed their ledgers. They stopped taking each other to court. They got unified. Guys, every church family at times hurts one another. Every family at times hurts one another. But we have to keep God's heart in mind and God's example of love. I'm finishing with these two scriptures. This is the way God has always been. Jeremiah 31:34. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Isn't that exciting? Psalm 103:11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's powerful, guys. That's powerful when your creator, the God of the universe, doesn't remember your sins. Amen. That's the best deal in the history of life. There's nothing better than that. Let's imitate that with one another. Amen? Let's imitate that. Let's display that in our relationships. And that doesn't mean you can't, we can't talk to one another about how we've been hurt. But it does mean that grace has got to flow. It does mean ledgers have got to be burned. I challenge you, if there's anyone that you have an issue with, that there's a ledger, to burn it, to do something today that would help you get on the track to erasing that ledger. Let's let God's love really impact the way we live, amen, and inspire us. Amen.